You're listening to Larger Story Messages with Dr. Larry Crabb. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. ...that you received in your little packet. You might turn to, the pages are not numbered, but Roman numeral 2. What are the effects of our problem? We have four points in our outline for the day. We've covered just the first one in the morning. What is our problem? We talked about something wrong, we live by code, and something missing, the effects of fatherhood and brotherhood. And now we want to look for a few minutes at how, how, does, how does this show itself? What's the evidence that, that really something is wrong with us as men? And after we take a look at that, we'll look at the causes of what's wrong with us. And then we'll conclude our afternoon by thinking about what we can do about it. What are some of the solutions? Roman numeral two, what are the effects of our problem? In your your outline, I have the phrase unresolved living. A phrase that I think I prefer since I wrote the outline is unconnected living. Unconnected living. It'll be clear a little bit as to why I prefer that phrase, but just for now you might want to mark it down. Unconnected living. The first thing to say about this second subject, what are the effects of our problem, is that the lack of fatherhood and brotherhood does make it difficult for us to find the courage to create when there's no code. In the absence of a father who believes in us and has given us the injection of life, in the absence of a brother who hears and struggles along with us, it's really difficult to believe deeply that there is the substance within that could be shaped in a direction that, when given, will make a desired impact. And when we lack the courage to create, when we lack the courage to move into a situation where we have no code and where we're unsure of ourselves, when we lack that courage, when we live non-courageous, uncreative lives... Something inside of us dies. Something that was intended to be alive dies. There have been many times when I've faced situations not unlike what I mentioned this morning in regard to my wife, and I didn't move toward her. There was no movement to deal with. There was rather an angry interchange or a self-contemptuous interchange or a sullen retreat. And when that happens, something inside of you dies but it yearns to come alive. And when that something dies and yearns to come alive, what I want to suggest is that we're far more vulnerable to inappropriate ways of finding life. We're far more vulnerable to when we flick through the TV channels and we have cable and we come to something that really we have no business watching. It's harder to turn to the next channel. We want to stay and look at that. Because somehow it brings something to our souls that seems to be empty. When we fail to speak into the chaos of our lives, a void is felt that demands relief. And when that void is felt, that void is a very, very painful void. It's a void that requires being filled. That void that comes when we fail to move into our worlds with creative courage is a void that literally screams... And I believe we have, in what I'm talking about now, the roots of the addictive process. The roots of sexual addiction, the roots of drug addiction, alcoholic addiction, addiction to work, 
addiction to ministry, all the addictions that we speak about in our modern culture, I think have their roots in a void within my soul that I experience as very badly empty because I fail to have the courage to create. And that pain of emptiness is experienced within me as a compulsive drive. Do you all know what that phrase means? And not just in terms of definition, but in terms of your own life. If you were taking the microphone, could you all give some illustrations of where you felt just compulsively controlled by something? Where there's a temptation and you simply did not have the power to resist. Where there was something that you know you really ought not to be doing, your conscience spoke against it, but there was this no power to resist doing this particular behavior at all. The pain of emptiness is felt as a compulsive drive, and I think it's a compulsive drive that maybe works in two directions. A drive to, number one, find something that works. Some system of living, something to do that gives me power and that expresses my frustration and my anger. I've got to find something that works, something that when I move out of me into the world, that internal void is somehow relieved. I'm not courageously creating, but I found something that when I do this, at least it works in some form, and it may be rape. Or it may be compulsively working 70 hours a week. It may be drugs or crime, or it may be devoting more time to ministry. It may be relating to people in an, in an intimidating way, or in a helpless way. How many of you know what I mean when I say that um, a lot of times with, with people, we act in certain helpless kinds of ways, determined to get a certain response from them? You know what that means, don't you? Where there's a certain kind of way of relating, and all of us have a style of relating that has an agenda. We're doing something to, to have an effect on other people. I know what it is in certain circles to intimidate others. I know what it is in certain circles to pull responses from others by by expressing a lack of confidence in myself. I know how to pull for compliments. I know how to interact in a way with people that gets the response from them that I want. I, I found certain codes, if you will. I found certain codes that govern my approach to relationship that get me what I want. I know how to have a hangdog look on my face to manipulate my wife. I know what it is to come home from work and having had a bad day and wanting very much for her to respond. And so I'll walk in the door and she'll hear me coming and she'll say, Hi, you home? How you doing? And I'll say, I'm all right. I might as well hold up a cue card. And I found certain ways that will get a response out of her that's the kind of one that I want. I, I, I want something that works. And when I find this something that works, something inside of me feels powerful. I know what I'm doing and I can make it happen. I feel power, powerful and I feel wickedly satisfied. And down deep, I feel strangely guilty. The emptiness that comes from uncourageous, non-creative living compulsively drives me to find something that works. And secondly, it drives me to find someone who cares. Now listen to what I mean by this. What, I, what I'm talking about here is not someone who cares in a legitimate sense of the word, but I'm talking about someone who doesn't require us to create, or to put it differently, someone who doesn't require us to be men. The roots, I would suggest, of sexual perversion are an opportunity for intimacy with no requirement to create. The roots of the homosexual urge, an opportunity to feel connected in a way that our souls long to feel connected without being required to create something out of the deepest part of my masculine soul because only a woman can require the depths of masculine creation. 
And therefore, I'm more drawn, if there's a real problem here, still longing for intimacy, I'm more drawn to those situations where there's no deep requirement to create. I want to be with someone, I want to be someplace where all the pressure is taken off. I don't want to have the pressure on my life anymore. You've all felt that way. You all feel so much pressure in your work and in your responsibilities and you just, you know, stop the world, let me get off kind of a mood. I just want a day away. I just want to go on a vacation or on my vacation. I don't want anybody to find me there and to call me and bring up a business problem. Um, one of the difficulties in when you write books and your picture's on it is sometimes you go places and people recognize you when you don't want to be recognized. I've been on vacation in places where people come up and my wife and I took our 25th anniversary trip uh, last June, went back to Bermuda where we hadn't been in 25 years. We honeymooned there 25 years ago and we're sitting in this hotel that we had been in 25 years ago, our 20th anniversary. We're sitting having dinner in a hotel and a couple walks up carrying the book, Men and Women Enjoying the Difference. And, and frankly, it didn't feel like, you know, celebrity status, good time, aren't I important? It didn't feel that way. What it felt like was, oh, did you, did you have to? They walked up and said, are you Larry Crabb? And I felt like saying, no, Harvey Schmidt, but I've won the Larry Crabb lookalike contest. <laughs> I, I want to find someone who's going to take all the pressure off, who's not going to require me to do anything. And the obvious sources of that are a prostitute. Fifty bucks and she'll not require a thing from you. Playboy centerfolds aren't demanding. Cable TV, sexual fantasies. When the emptiness is relieved, when that process is set in motion, and the emptiness is relieved, then the addictive process is kicked into gear. When there's not the deep satisfaction of soul that comes from courageously, courageously creating in chaos when the deep satisfaction of soul that comes from that process is absent, and then I find something else that seems to work or someone who cares by taking the pressure off and saying, you deserve a break today, then something inside of me says, I'll live for you. And I'll get more of you. And the process is kicked into gear. That could begin with a tender look from a secretary, the kind of look you don't get from your wives. Gentlemen, if we don't know how to love, if we don't know how to courageously create if we don't know how to take the clay of our manhood and shape it into a substance and give it away if we don't know how to do that to give of ourselves to another for the sheer sake of giving for the sheer joy of being alive as men then we're going to become addicted to what I call this morning being in love we're going to become addicted to the excitement of sensual type pleasure and we're going to be needing fresh excitement all the time another girl Another porno magazine, another sexual position, wilder deviations, and pretty soon our search for being in love will lead us to anything that provides even a moment of pleasure. How many lives have gone down the tubes in just that way? All because when things were tough and the man felt without a code, had no idea what to do, he refused to speak. He refused to stay involved. I spoke just a week ago with a good friend a man who years ago we had considered asking us to join our ministry in a major collegial role. A friend whose life is now in the process of being um, put back together. The pieces are shattered all over the place. He was with a woman who was very difficult for him to love in a variety of ways. He knew very little of fatherhood. He had about four or five different fathers. He knew nothing of the joys of fatherhood. He had some level of meaningful brotherhood, but he managed to harden himself in spite of that. And he didn't give to his wife because she wouldn't give to him what his empty soul wanted. 
And so he turned to relationships that made no demands. He's gone through, through two or three women since. And now this last week at breakfast with a degree of emotion, he said, it's just so hard to not be with my children. It's so hard to be away. There's a price to pay for our not being men. There's a price to pay for that void being created within us by our lack of courage that leads to an inability to control certain temptations in our lives go down the tubes. Now, where are you with all this as I'm teaching? Are you living by code? Does that make sense to you? To hear what I'm talking about when I say that? Do you know what I mean when I say that there's a need for courage? Is that communicating? Can you translate that into your own lives as opposed to just following a seminar concept? Is your life okay down deep or just on the surface of things? How have you handled, how have I handled the absence of a father or brother? And in one sense, we've all been without the fullness of what we want in a father and brother. Even those whose hands were raised and my hand would go up. Even those whose hands were raised would have to say it's not been all that we wanted in either father or brother. And there's therefore going to be some struggle with believing that we have what it takes to move into life when there's no code. And are we aware that since so many things that we do, so much of the passions that control us, so much of the energy that, motiva- that motivates us, really is nothing more than an attempt to find what works in someone who cares in order to relieve the pain caused by our failure to create. Now let me see if I can give a little bit of help. Turning to the next concept now. Let me see if I can give a little bit of help as you turn to your next page. In identifying where maybe we are. This next little bit is meant to be only diagnostic, not explanatory. Uh, in the next few minutes, I simply want to give a little picture for, um, for how we tend to relate, how we tend to approach things <clears throat> that may help us position ourselves and get a better picture of where we are in this whole subject of manhood and handling it creatively that we're talking about today. In order to position ourselves and get some categories that maybe we can see where we fit, let me talk about first about three spheres of life that we all live within. This is very obvious. I'm just organizing it in one way. There's thousands of ways to organize this. But see if these obvious sentences can start making some sense in light of the material of the day. There are three spheres of life that all of us live within. The first sphere of life is just the ordinary, everyday, routine responsibilities. All of us know what it is to have a variety of responsibilities. When the seminar is over at 4.30, we have certain things that we're responsible to do. If we're married, our wives expect us home by 5.30 or 6 o'clock. Uh, if we're not married, we still have other responsibilities, things that have to be done. Um, I've put off paying my monthly bills. I've been working so hard on this stuff that I haven't paid my monthly bills. And I'm going to spend probably Sunday evening paying my bills. Um, or Monday morning or sometime, I'll be working on my bills. It'll be a little bit late, and I'll be getting a few notices here and there, but I'll just go ahead and take care of it. And the few little problems that I'm going to have in terms of a notice saying your payment is two days late, I'm going to handle okay, because I'm going to just uh, probably postmark it earlier or something like that, you know. (laughs) We've all got bills to pay and jobs to do and ball games to watch and purchases to make and children's school programs to attend and dinner parties to go to and, and lots of things that take up most of our time. And I would suggest that authentic men live responsibly in the everyday world. Now, that's all I mean by the everyday world. That's pretty clear, pretty obvious, basic stuff. Second world that we're all called upon to encounter because we're all in it is what I call the empty life. Not the everyday life, but now the empty life or the empty world. The empty life of disappointment, failure, abuse, and rage. Most of us know that 
beneath our everyday schedules and responsibilities, there's a gnawing realization that something is not as it should be. Things just aren't right. Sometimes that fact slaps us in the face when planes crash. Sometimes that fact slaps us in the face when wives say, I'm taken off. Sometimes that fact slaps us in the face when daughters say, sorry, Dad, but I'm pregnant. Sometimes that fact slaps us in the face and we get together for a family reunion and have a terrible time with all our relatives. And we begin to realize that our community is just not what we long for it to be. We realize the truth of what the Bible says when the Bible says that each one of us lives our lives now out of the garden. When God created Adam and Eve, he put him in paradise, and then when they sinned, he threw them out. And you and I are living post the sin of Adam and Eve, post-fall. We're living outside of the garden, and something is wrong. And a rather gloomy sort of a thought that I think needs to be underscored is that in our lives, something is wrong with everything. The best relationship you have, the best job you have. There's, there's a certain disappointment, a certain failure. There's the possibility of being abused in certain ways. There's an anger that comes to our souls because we are now living in a world that we were not designed to live in. God did not intend me to live in a world that's as messy as this. He intended me rather to live in paradise. And even maybe more importantly, he did not intend me to know the meaning of pain. He did not intend me to know the meaning of bad. But when even Adam ate the tree, of what tree was it? Fruit of the tree of the knowledge of Good and evil, and the word evil could equally well be translated bad, just bad things. Hard things in life, alcoholic fathers, wives who are critical, and kids that get in trouble, and jobs that don't work, and bills that exceed income, and that's something that God never intended me to experience. God intended me to live, in a certain sense, as a little child, trusting my father. You see a little two-year-old child, and you see daddy just tossing the kid up in the air. And maybe the first time, the kid is like that, but then he's caught. And the second time, a little less, third, fourth, fifth time, provided you don't drop the kid, there's, there's just a certain kind of a mood of the kid. It's just, you know, everything's wonderful because daddy's down there with strong arms. That's what God intended life to be like. And it's just not that way. Things don't work. And most of us have a strong commitment to not face how badly things aren't working. Sometimes things are so bad, we don't know how to go on. But usually... What we men with our creative capacities do is we misuse our creative capacities. We prostitute our abilities to create and find some way to create the illusion that things are better than they are. That's a misuse of our creative capacities. We find some way to create the illusion that things are better than they are, and we, we look for opportunities for pleasure, opportunities for power, opportunities for impact, opportunities for something that will somehow make us feel good without ever being required to create in the middle of, of paralysis. I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. I love to watch Michael play. They played uh, the Celts last, uh, what night was it, Thursday? Is that right? Wednesday, maybe. And uh, I invited a bunch of guys over and watched the Celts. And, the, and the, the Bulls play. Michael had 40-something or other. It was a great night. It was fun. Anything wrong with having a good night with a bunch of guys watching a sports program like that? No, I think it's super. The issue is, what do I use it for? Do I use nights like that to pretend, there's no problems, I'm doing fine. Or do I use nights like that as a nice breather from some of the problems? That's fair. What do you do with the empty worlds that you live in? I live in an empty world of disappointment. 
failure, abuse, anger. That's my world, just like yours. It's everybody's world. I'm not saying my life is not good. I've got a good life. I've got a wonderful wife, two super kids. Um, a lot of things are going well for me. But I'll tell you something. If eternal life meant this life, forever and ever and ever, man, I'm looking around for alternatives. There's a third sphere that I want to speak about for just a moment. The energetic life, I call it. The energetic life where we feel energized. Energized by connection to somebody good and to something important. Energized by connection to somebody good and something important. One thing that we're just going to have to understand, and it's hard for me to grasp, but it may be hard for you as well, that... Um, I can't make it alone. There are certain things that I face in my world. There are certain parts of my life that I'm just not up to handling. The difficulty is there's a fair amount of my life that I'm quite up to handling. But there are certain parts that once in a while I realize if there's not a connection of something deep within me to someone better than me, stronger than me, more powerful than me, if there's not a connection of who I am and what I'm doing to some thing, some purpose that's more important than the few things that I'm doing now, if there's not some sense of connection, then when I'm facing life at its fullest, I realize that I'm destroyed and I have nothing. This third world, the energetic world, the energetic life of connection, is a world that I really believe very, very few men enter. I think we're committed to not entering it. We're committed to using our creative capacities in a very prostituted way to avoid entering the world as I'm speaking of it. I've told the story before publicly. I've told it maybe three or four times, and it still hasn't lost power. It doesn't feel like a recited story yet. Maybe it will at some day. But two weeks after Bill died, last March 3rd, I told my wife in the two weeks after that that there were tears within me that had not yet been shed. I wept, all of us did. It was a significant loss for our family, of course. And within two weeks, I remember saying to Rachel one Sunday morning as we got up to go to church, I made a decision to go to church that day. I said, um, I remember saying to her with, with, with some real feeling, I said, honey, there's, there's tears within me that, that I haven't cried yet. And I don't know what they're from. But I sense that those tears are coming from a deeper source than the loss of my brother. It's hard to imagine a much deeper source than that. The tears that came from that have been as rich tears as I've cried in my life. But I remember saying to her, I think there's something worse, and I don't know what it is, and there's a grief within me I don't know how to identify. The tears haven't come. That night they did, for reasons I don't understand. Got up midnight, went to my study, and I, I cried. I, I wailed. I sobbed. And the words that I said, I'll never forget the words that I said. I don't think I'll ever forget them. I said these words out loud, almost in a screaming tone. I said, God, I think I'm beginning to understand that you're all that I have to connect with. But I'm not sure if I know you well enough for you to be all that I need. You're all that I have. I don't know you well enough for you to be all that I need. That third world is not an easy one. Connection. With what? There are some people in our modern supernaturalized culture, as we've seen the poverty of materialism, the poverty of our technological revolution, there are a number of people now who are saying there's got to be more than things. 
And as a result, we're moving in a variety of counterfeit supernatural directions to connect with something other than the only one that can be connected with. Three worlds to live in. Where do we live? What do we know of each one? I want to suggest to you that the way we handle these three worlds and how we deal with these three spheres, these three spheres of life, may lead us to a little set of categories that might pinpoint where you and I are. I want to talk about four kinds of men. The first kind of man, men I call comfortable men. Let me tell you about comfortable men. Comfortable men are men who do their best to block out the empty life and the energetic life. Comfortable men are men who, when you talk to them, they say things are just great. How's it going? Fine, thanks. Any problems? None whatsoever. Well, maybe there's a few problems here and there, but hey, we all have problems. Things are super. I think it's fair to say that at times. I had a call from a good friend last night. How's it going, Larry? And I said, great. Things are going well? I said, super. Does that mean I'm a comfortable man? Sure, at certain moments. I think it's great. I'm, I'm all for comfort. I'm not knocking this necessarily. I'm asking, are we there defensively refusing to go anywhere else? Things are fine. And my commitment, unspoken often, but very real, is I don't want it messed up. So take a hike if you want to talk deep. Don't you bug me with all these heavy things. Typical psychologist that complicates simple things and make a mess out of life. I got enough friends. I'm doing all right. Yeah. I golf with George and I you know, play tennis with Bill and I do all sorts of things. I'm all right. Got a good job. I could make a little more money, but I'm doing all right. Family's all right, yeah, wife's good looking, still shapely, everything's fine. No need to really look any deeper. Let me tell you the characteristics of comfortable men. If that's a description, here's some characteristics. Comfortable men are often very sociable. The kind you love to be with at a party, but you never go to when you're grieving. They're sociable. They're often leaders, typically low-level leaders, but sometimes big time. The people that have no close friends... They can't get real close to anybody. There's every, they're everybody's buddy and nobody's best friend. They try to get close, they stiff arm you. Comfortable people typically have no real passion. And as you get to know them, there's nothing in you that is drawn out by them. Things stay at a shallow level. Comfortable men are incapable of deep feelings. There's no real passion. Their wives are going mad, wondering if there's anything authentic about their womanhood because they find themselves longing for more, but their guys seem so friendly and happy and everything's fine that they begin to say, I guess I'm weird for wanting more. What's the matter with me? I'll find some way to adjust to this man by killing my soul. Comfortable men are defensive and angry when pushed to look hard at their lives. Comfortable men. Refuse to take a look at the two spheres of life that eliminate comfort. Second category I call troubled men. Let's see if that confusing sketch makes any sense. Com troubled men. Men that have no awareness in a meaningful experiential way of the energetic life. But they're men who realize that there's been a few problems going on. Things are not all that good. There's a few things going on, and they're, they're open to your thoughts. I've, I've faced some of the struggles of life, and yeah, I do feel kind of empty, and yeah, things aren't so good at home, but they aren't that bad. I'm still making it. Let's not get too serious about this. I'm open to your thoughts, but don't, 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 don't 
upset things too much because I'm still doing okay. I was able to snap back up and get into the everyday life and I'm still okay, but yeah, I know something's wrong. That's the difference in troubled men. They know something's wrong. They're troubled by something deeper than comfortable men have ever faced. Those are their characteristics. Let me tell you their... Those are the, that's their description, rather. Let me tell you their characteristics. They're willing to talk at meaningful levels to some degree, but there's a real limit. They're willing to talk about things, and they'll open up to some degree, but you realize you hit a steel plate at some point. There's often hidden problems going on in troubled men's lives that they can't understand or overcome. They're not sure why they have that strange sexual fantasy that they can't stop thinking about when they make love to their wives. They're not sure why they have so many weird thoughts. They're bothered by it. But they just kind of ignore it and get back to living their everyday lives. They dip down into the struggles of emptiness, face it for a moment, get terrified, and run back up to everyday living and obsess themselves with whatever will numb the pain. They're easily discouraged men. They're men who often lose their motivation because they know that um, they know that living in the everyday world and trying hard to be mature and responsible there isn't dealing with what needs to be dealt with. A whole lot of people these days are trying to make it by doing nothing more than being increasingly responsible in whatever tasks are set before them. A lot of troubled people are very, very responsible people, but they're compulsively responsible. There's no spontaneity or freedom. And their responsibility is a way of getting, putting their distance between them and the real struggles of life. If I can just be responsible, if I can just make things work, I think I'll be all right. I don't want to go down and look harder at what's happening in my life. I call those troubled men. Third kind of men... We call them dysfunctional men. They've tried to live in their everyday worlds, but their everyday worlds were not making it. They had so many problems in the deeper level of the empty life. Their life was so empty, so full of struggles, that they've dipped down to that world. And when they've gotten to that world, they face that things are so bad that they say, it's a mess, and I just can't handle it. I know my life is a mess, and I simply have no idea what to do about it. These are sometimes what people look like after a little bit of counseling. Not doing too bad, coming into trouble, helping my troubles. Then the counselor says, well, look at what's happening in your dysfunctional world. Well, my dad was pretty good. Pretty good. He left you when you were five years old. Yeah, but he wrote now and then. How'd that struck your soul? Did that touch your soul in ways you want to be touched? No, I guess it didn't. In other words, you're dying inside. And after some good counseling like that, life's a whole lot more of a mess than it was before you started. And sometimes when you enter the reality of how bad things are in your world, in my world, sometimes it's like, a, it's like a quicksand that keeps you in its power and you feel like you lose all your power and you end up saying, I have no power over what matters. I need help. The characteristics of dysfunctional men, I would suggest they're, office, they're often angry, demanding, and self-focused. They're oftentimes very angry people. It shouldn't be this way. It's just not right. A lot of us have a very keen sense of justice in terms of how the world has treated us. 
And something inside of us says, given the way I've been treated, and given how hard it's been for me to experience all that I've gone through, given how badly I've been treated in terms of justice, I never deserved that as a three-year-old kid to have this happen. I never deserved at age 10 to have this happen. I never deserved at age 15 to have this happen. Given that all these offenses against justice have been created against me, therefore I think it's fairly acceptable for me to find some relief in ways that violate justice. Justice really would serve the purpose of bringing me relief. So I'll do whatever brings relief. Responsibility, out the window. Unless it helps. But living responsible lives and working harder doesn't numb the pain of what's happening in the empty life that dysfunctional men live in the middle of all the time. These are men that are often in the middle of some kind of addiction with no capacity whatsoever to give. Dysfunctional men. Last kind of men. On the overhead in your notes I have resolved. Maybe connected is a better word. Resolved men or connected men. Men that have had the courage, maybe, or by necessity have had to face that living in the everyday world isn't cutting it. Men who've had to face that just trying harder and coming home on time and making sure you don't forget your wife's birthday and taking her out for dinner once a week and making sure you spend time with your kids, that somehow it really doesn't, doesn't do the job. It doesn't take care of the pain. I remember uh, a woman who uh, I chatted with a few years ago. She came to one of our seminars, and my associate Dan was teaching on sexual abuse. And she was an 18-year-old young lady sitting in the back of the room, and I was back. And, and she, um, she began crying as Dan talked about sexual abuse. And I went back to her, and I said, could I be of help? And she said, yes, in tears. We went back and chatted, and she told me. She said that... Um, she said, my pastor um, told me I must not come to your seminar. And I said, why? And she said, because his position is that if we simply do everything that God says, all of our problems will be taken care of. If we simply try harder to be obedient to God, make sure that we do whatever a good Christian girl should do, all these things will be taken care of in our lives, and all you're doing is bringing in some of this looking at your own life in ways that just messes people up. And I said, well, what would you come for? And she said, for the last four years, I've committed myself with every power within me to do everything right to live this, to, 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 to live the way a, a teenage girl ought to live. I've been obedient to my parents. I've worked hard at school. I've, I've had appropriate dating relationships. No man or no boy has touched me in ways that he shouldn't. I've been everything I'm supposed to be. And internally, I'm dying. Resolved people are people who know that just being everything you're supposed to be doesn't seem to take care of the real issues. And you begin facing what's happening in your soul and there's great pain, there's great emptiness. And that emptiness has smashed your pride. The emptiness has been so severe that you've ended up saying, I really need connection outside of myself. And if the connection has been illegitimate, let me tell you what you look like. 
There are a fair number of people, I think an increasing number in our society, of people who are illegitimately connected and therefore see that their lives are somewhat well resolved. Unhealthy resolution I would define basically this way, as some form of connection that ends the chaos. Some form of connection that, that, that eliminates the need to be fully courageous in every situation. Now i figured out, I've got it together. I'm fine now. And I'm no longer in denial. I faced my alcoholic father. I faced the abandonment. I faced how my mother possesses me. I faced how my friends relate to me in ways that I've been trapped by and addicted to. I faced all that. I'm not in denial. But I've gotten in touch with me. I've gotten in touch with my right to live a certain way. I'm now free. I'm in touch with the truth of who I am. I'm fine now, and I'm not in denial, says the unhealthily connected. And with an almost demanding zeal, I want you to know what I know. People like this are usually pushy in their evangelistic fervor. Their characteristics are that they're full of self-confidence in a way that's very unattractive. There's a calmness through storms that doesn't somehow seem legitimate. And there's a dependence on the connection that seems to keep that person from giving humbly, sacrificially, and quietly to others. If you're making it today, ask yourself on what basis. Does it feel like you're making it because you're a comfortable man who's never looked beneath the surface into the emptiness of your life and faced the fact that your wife is dying inside at the time? Face the fact that what you're doing doesn't matter that much to many people. That you really don't know how to live in a lot of ways and you're not sure what to tell your children when they ask you, Daddy, teach me to live. If you're making it, is it because you're comfortable or is it because you're unhealthily connected? If you're healthily connected, and I think that there are some men who are making it legitimately. I think this is a hope we can all look forward to. But a legitimate, healthy connection is one that does not end the chaos. It's one that sustains us through the chaos. The chaos continues until the day we die. It's always striking for me and, and somewhat discouraging to talk to my father who's pushing 80 years old and to realize he's still struggling with a lot of things. There's been times internally I've just felt so angry at him. Dad, couldn't you be beyond the struggles by now? Give me a little hope for growing older? But dad is a man whose connection has not ended his chaos, but it's sustaining him through it. When Bill died, he told me he went outside after he got the news and he screamed at God for ten minutes. And then when God didn't repent, he chose to trust him. A connection that sustains us through chaos that makes the present, now listen to this, that makes the present chaos and pain and suffering no longer the point of our lives. It's there, but it's not the point. It's not the focal point. We're not looking for relief. There's not some internal void that's requiring relief. There's still chaos. There's still pain. There's still suffering, but it somehow isn't central. And the struggles that we have are regarded as an opportunity for the demonstration of something wonderful within. A healthily connected person, see if you fit these, this description, 
a healthily connected person would say things like this, I hurt badly. And I'm confused about a lot of things, but something within me can still move and can still give. A healthily connected person is one who says, I hurt badly and I'm confused. There are many times in my life and I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes I'm feeling great, but sometimes I hurt badly. But even when I hurt at my worst, I know there's something within me that can still move and can give. A healthily connected person is one who knows the deepest joys of manhood, which ultimately is the transmission of life. I want you to participate in what I found. But only as you are drawn to it through me, there'll be no high-pressure sales. The characteristics of a healthily connected, resolved person is that he's humble. He's not full of himself. He's found a far more interesting topic than his own life. That'd be progress for a lot of us, wouldn't it? There are times he's very threatened, deeply paralyzed, but somehow he still stays strong and moving. 